But I want to, to dive in. This is part five of our series, Play the Long Game. And this series, what we've been looking at is this time of year, we tend to uh, make short-term, near-term goals, like one-year goals, two-year goals uh, for uh, the year, for the next few years. And Play the Long Game, this series, we were looking at is how can we just not have a great 2022, uh, but, but how can we live a great life? How can we live an effective life, a fruitful life, spiritually speaking? So we've been looking at practices that can lead to long-term fruitfulness. And uh, today, I've entitled today's message, uh, Battle Tested. Because uh, this whole idea of being battle-tested means when you go through some, some difficult things, you go through some hard things, uh, you learn some things. In fact, Peter said this in 1 Peter. He says, rejoice when you face trials of many kinds uh, because it actually produces something on the inside of you that good times don't produce. Uh, it's no, you know, even, even naturally speaking, you know, many of you know this, you know, vegetation, it, it happens in the valley, not the mountaintops. And the same is true in life, that it really is the, the difficult times that can sometimes teach us things. Uh, but I had an old pastor one time tell me, this always stuck with me. He says, you know, it's great to learn from your own mistakes, but what's even better and less costly is to learn from someone else's mistakes. Come on, somebody. You know, it's better to learn from somebody else. And uh, here's the beautiful thing of Scripture. We can learn from a lot of people who've already gone before us. Uh, the inspired Word of God. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Joshua 7 today, 7 and 8, um, to give context that, that's going to help us um, really glean some principles on how we can uh, really not just not just uh, live our life, have a great 2022, but I truly believe is live a fruitful life because here's why. In Joshua 7 and 8, Joshua and the Israelites are on their way to inherit the promised land, on their way to take hold of God's purpose for their life. And just so you know, this is that God has a unique purpose for you. Uh, he had a purpose for you before he created you. Uh, and, and we want to see that purpose come to be fulfilled in your life. That dream that God's put in your heart, we want to see it come to pass in your life. And there are some principles that we can glean in their, in their journey towards the promised land um, that we can really take hold of and apply to our own life. But before we read the scripture, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that as we open it up today, uh, that you would truly speak to us. And God, we posture our hearts and our minds to receive from you today. Uh, we love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joshua 7, uh, let me give quick context before I dive into it. Uh, Joshua is just in the beginning of Joshua. He took over from Moses, who was leading the Israelites. He, uh, if you were here last week, you know this. He led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, and uh, he was leading them to the promised land. But then Moses passes away, and Joshua is his successor. And Joshua, um, he really experiences kind of two um, kind of wins off the bat as a leader. Um, he crosses them, uh, leads them across the Jordan River. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, the, little, the, the rivers of Jordan, it literally like stands up on a wall. Uh, how many of you know, if you, if you do that as a leader, you're winning. Come on. Uh, of course, God did it, but Joshua led them through it. And then Joshua leads them to Jericho, and he, they march around the walls, maybe you know this, seven times, and the walls of Jericho come down. Come on. Still winning, right? Like all this progress, all this success. But then in Joshua 7, things kind of come to an abrupt halt. Uh, and really what we see is Joshua became a little bit overconfident. Uh, Joshua became to, to maybe act a little bit independently. 
Just a side note, be careful. Here's what can happen even in your own faith journey. And this even applies to all of us. We can begin our relationship with God or when we come back to faith in Christ or maybe you renew your faith in God and, and there can be a few months, a few years, maybe even a few seasons where you are, you're dependent on God, you're seeking God, you're like every day, God, I need you. But then if you're not careful, you can begin to get a little bit overconfident. And you can mistake and think that somehow it was you and not him. And that's what happens with Joshua. And his overconfidence leads to a defeat. That they should have won this battle, but they, they're defeated. But then he learns some lessons, and they come back, and they take Ai. Uh, and I want us to, to, to glean some principles from uh, their journey. And here's the first principle I want you to take hold of, the first truth, really. And that's this, um, is that our character will impact our calling. Is that who you are will actually determine how far you'll go in life. See, here's what happened in verse 10 of Joshua 7. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up, what are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I've commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted. So here's we see in this moment. The Lord speaks to Joshua, and he says, Joshua, the reason you were defeated by Ai is because you've broken my covenant. You've sinned. You've missed my mark, my standard. There's, there's something you've done against my commands. That something done privately had an implication publicly. That what had happened was Achan, who was in the Israelite camp, uh, he had taken some of the devoted things. Here's what happened in Joshua 6. They take Jericho, but God says, the bounty of Jericho I want you to set aside and put in my temple. This is, a, a, this is for me, for the temple, uh, for my work. And of course, God gives them the bounty of AI. He gives them future bounties. He's just asking for the first, much like a scriptural principle, the tithe. We bring the tithe, the first, back to God. He's saying, I want the first of Jericho's bounty. And, and here's what happens is that Achan actually took and kept Jericho's, or Jericho's bounty instead of keeping it in the temple. And in this moment, God says the reason you lost the battle was because of this very thing, that this private indiscretion had a public implication. And haven't you realized this or haven't you seen this before personally in your own life, maybe in the workplace, maybe in the media, where somebody's private indiscretions end up having a public implication or a public implosion, right? Somebody's dishonesty at work ends up discrediting the very work they did. Or someone's breach of integrity or moral failure calls an implosion in their leadership. Have you seen this before? Where actually somebody's private life, and here's a lie of the enemy. The enemy wants to convince you oftentimes that the things you do privately, the indiscretions, the ethical lines you cross, the breaches of integrity, those thoughts you have that you know you shouldn't have, those things you look at or think about or things that you do that you know you shouldn't have done, he will convince you that no one is getting hurt by this. But here's what the Bible says. The brother of Jesus, James, wrote this, that every sin is the seed of death and destruction. See, here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to create the seed of lust that you might think, man, I'm just, I'm just glancing, I'm just thinking, and he wants to bring destruction 
to your marriage. He wants the seed of greed to bring an implosion to your work life. This is how the enemy works. And can I tell you, when it comes to issues of your character and integrity and your faithfulness to God's word, how many of you know it's much easier to dig up something at a seed form than when it becomes a tree? It's much easier to deal with it when it's not a big deal before it becomes a big deal. This is not any kind of condemnation, but I think it is a word of caution. Be careful what you're allowing in private because eventually, eventually, it will become public. And that's what happened in Achan's life. You know the word Achan, uh, the name Achan literally means trouble. Come on, anybody else, you have someone in your life that's just trouble? Come on, just call him an Achan. Come on, somebody. I'm just kidding. If you named your child Achan and you wonder why they call so much trouble, there you go, all right? Here's what the scriptures say in Proverbs 10. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Whatever takes the crooked paths will be found out. But I had this thought. Here was Achan, right? He saw God part the, the Jordan rivers. He saw God bring down the walls of Jericho. You would think, like, he's seen God's goodness. He's seen God's provision. He's seen God's faithfulness. Wouldn't he have trusted God with his provision? But here's what can often happen if we're not careful. And this is actually shown throughout Scripture. Uh, namely, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul says um, that we're to take captive every thought. And make it obedient to Christ. Jesus himself said that, that, that the Satan, the enemy of your soul, is the father of lies. Here's how a lot of sin is birthed in our life. Here's how a lot of indiscretions start in our life. Is they start with believing a lie about God or about ourselves. And here's the thought I had is that perhaps Achan himself withheld, instead of giving to God what was God's, he held it for himself because at some point along the way did he believe the lie that God is not a provider. And I had this thought, you know, my own life personally, that I, I've noticed that sometimes what can be the, the environment or the seedbed of for us to believe lies about God or ourself or life in general can be disappointments. It's when we're disappointed, we're tempted to alter our perception of God and ourselves. It's when God doesn't answer a prayer and we question his goodness. It's where God doesn't provide for us the way we wanted him to, so we question, is he really a provider? He didn't heal who we were hoping him to heal, so we question, are you really a healer? We didn't get the promotion we've been longing and hoping for, even though we've been faithful to God, and we question, God, do you really want what's best for me? You ever been there before? Where you, you question God, and that's how it happens. You know, this has been happening since the beginning of time. In the Garden of Eden, what, 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 did, the, what did the serpent, which was the devil in the serpent form, what did he tell Adam and Eve? Did God really say he wants you to believe a lie? Is God really a provider? Is he really that good? And then what happens if we entertain the lie? Here's how it happens. If you don't believe that God is a provider and you believe the lie that it's all up to you, you'll drive yourself, you'll work yourself into the ground. If you believe the lie that somehow God is not good and you feel abandoned, you'll feel that life is all upon your own shoulders. So here's what you do in those situations. If you've been there, please hear this. There's no condemnation. We all are susceptible to lies, myself included. We have to, as Paul says, renew our 
minds. We have to take every thought captive. Let me give you a practical application, something to do this week. is in your quiet time with God, when you read the scripture, you pray, just simply take a moment and ask God, are there any lies that I am currently believing about you or about myself? And then ask him, what is the truth? Search the scriptures out for the truth. Find scriptures about who he is, about your situation, and begin to renew your mind with the truth. But then the Lord tells Joshua this, Now go and consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. They are devoted things among you in Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. So he says, go consecrate yourselves. That word consecration literally means to be set apart. It's what Jesus said when he said, you're, you're to live in the world but not be of the world. It's what Paul meant when he said, don't befriend the world. Meaning, uh, when he said, don't conform to the patterns of this world. It's all throughout the scriptures. The whole idea is this. You are to live differently as a follower of Jesus. You are called to be salt and light, as Christ says. She says, consecrate yourselves. And there's first the inward process of confession of sin, of renewing of minds, of, of getting the internal, right? Because, and just to, just to share some encouragement to some of you, God in heaven is not standing in heaven and waiting and expecting and demanding for you to change. Do you want to know how good our God is? That Jesus actually ascended into heaven, so the Holy Spirit, and the Greek word for the Holy Spirit is parakletos, and what parakletos means in English is helper, guide, empowerment, that he actually sent his Holy Spirit to empower you to live a set-apart life. And let me just give you some encouragement. This is a vision for a better life. This is not now go and do to be a burden. This is actually saying God sent his Holy Spirit as an agent of liberation to liberate you from the bondage of sin, to liberate you from shame, to liberate you from condemnation. And that's good news, church, that we can actually live as free people, that we don't have to be in bondage to shame or condemnation or sin or improprieties because of what he's done. The author of Hebrews says this, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's rid ourselves of every obstacle, he says, and the sin that so easily entangles us. One translation says throw off. Like this whole idea of like, like, like throwing off whatever it is, that the weight that's keeping you back, that's holding you back. And here's the reality is that, is that indiscretions, improprieties, ethical lines crossed, breaches of integrity, sin in your life are a weight. They are an obstacle and they will entangle you and they will hold you back from all that God has for you. So the author of Hebrews says, throw it off. And there are some practical things that we can do. You know, I was reminded of this, the importance of the practical aspects of how we can live a life of freedom uh, from, from the, the obstacles in our life. Uh, my children, we get these, um, they're like these like cliff, kid, cliff bar kids, protein bars we get for our kids. And uh, we, we used to keep them um, on the, the bottom shelf of the pantry. We have since learned that was a bad decision. Uh, because what would happen is our kids would go into the pantry and they would literally ransack it. 
Uh, like Judah, I remember you turn your head and Judah's already down four bars and the trail of wrappers and crumbs back into the family room. Uh, he's not so good at hiding his, uh, uh, <laughs> his sin, so we're, we're, I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm like, Judah, I see the four wrappers. You ate four. No, I didn't. Son, I see all four wrappers and your mouth is full of chocolate. You ate four protein bars. It's okay. I love you. But here's what we've learned. Our children, especially our three-year-old and our six-year-old, especially our three-year-old, they cannot handle the temptation of chocolate bars in the bottom shelf of the pantry. Come on. Some of us in this room can't handle that temptation either. Come on, somebody. So we now put them at the top shelf. So even when they stand on a little step stool, they can't reach it. And now they can't get access to it. Let me make it real for us. Whatever it is, whatever line we find ourselves crossing, and please hear this, there's no condemnation because you're human. You're going to have sin in your life. You're going to have mistakes that you make in this life. But, but one of the ways, in the same way for us, let's not place ourselves in environments that are tempting us to make the same mistake over and over again. Let, 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 let us not spend time with those people with whom with them we often make those mistakes. Let's create some distance from that environment. I'm not saying that's the, that's the key because change happens from the inside out. But there are seasons, there are times that you need to make some behavioral changes. That you need to make some, some changes in your life about who you spend time with and where you go and what you watch and the thoughts you have. Because that is how you begin to consecrate yourself. That's how you begin to throw off that which is hindering you. Your character will impact your calling. Listen, take care of what's happening privately in your heart because it will influence your purpose publicly. Here's the second one, is that our community will influence our destiny. Or the people we surround ourselves with will influence the outcome of our life. In verse 3 of chapter 7, they came back to Joshua and they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up and they were routed by the men of Ai. Now I want you to catch kind of Joshua, the, the tone of this scripture. I just said like two or 3,000 men. There's not much intentionality, not much not much kind of purpose and who he was sending and how many he was sending. He was like, you know, just two or 3,000 should do. And they get routed by AI. And he, he, here's something Joshua did. He undervalued his opposition. I shared this last week. Be careful you're not pursuing God's purpose without God's power. Because you do have an enemy of your soul who will bring the forces of hell against you. Now, mind you, we don't have to be scared of the devil and his forces. We don't have to be worried about the kingdom of darkness, which if you did not know, there is a kingdom of darkness. There is a spiritual battle. Paul's in Ephesians 6. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in dark places. See, you thought the problem was your spouse. It's the devil. Come on, helping your marriage out. Come on, somebody. You thought it was your coworker. Okay, it is your coworker. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now listen, there, there, there are two extremes all times in Christendom, right? There are some who believe the devil is behind every rock. So they run out of gas and they think, I got an ExxonMobil demon in my car. 
and they're casting out a demon out of their car. No, you don't have a demon in your car. You just didn't get gas last night when you should have, when you knew you should have. <laughs> but the other side is we think everything's natural. We don't ever even think for the fact that we have an enemy for our soul. Can I tell you, if you are pursuing God with any intentionality, you have someone coming against you. If you're wondering why is there discord in my home, why am I dealing with anxiety, yes, it can be natural, but do not discount that it could be spiritual. Next week, we're actually kicking off a brand new series on mental health called The Struggle is Real. This series is all about mental health. I used to work as a psychologist. I'm very passionate about this. And we're going to talk about the practical side. I used to do therapy, the practical side of psychology. But can I tell you, I think one of the things we often do, and I, I came from that world in the mental health world, is we undervalue the impact of our spirituality. <laughs> what we may call a disorder could also be the influence of the demonic. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying everything. Like, I'm not saying everything. But it could be. I think sometimes we undervalue how significant they are coming against you. But listen, we don't have to be worried. We don't have to cower in fear because the Bible says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Therefore, I don't have to be fearful. In fact, here's the good news. The book that we have, the Holy Bible, at the very end of the book, here's what we see. Jesus, in the kingdom of heaven, defeats the enemy. We know how this ends. So we don't have to like be fearful, like, oh my gosh, this is coming against me. We just have to be knowledgeable and know that this is happening. And, and, be, and listen, Ephesians 6 is a great read on, on the different warfare that we have, prayer and scripture. That's why the Bible is called the sword of the spirit. Like All of that's powerful. But can I tell you what you also need? You need some battle buddies. You need some people who will go to war with you. You need some people who will, I'm not talking about somebody who's going to like literally get a sword and shield. Not, if your friend does that, find new friends. Um, <laughs> spiritually speaking, prays for you, encourages you in the word, supports you, helps carry your burdens. And can I flip it around? You're also called to be that for somebody else. Who are you encouraging right now? Who are you praying for right now? Do you have people that you're doing that for? Here's how I found we can be careful. If we're not careful, we can approach our relationships in church and in community as if what I need. I've often found if you focus on, what, on who you can serve, you'll actually find what you need will be filled. If we get our eyes off ourselves and kind of focus on how can I serve others and help others. But we need battle buddies. You know, the Bible says this in Proverbs 18.2, He who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound judgment. In 2020, well, actually 2018, the Surgeon General for the United States, Vivek Murthy, said that, that America was experiencing a loneliness epidemic. If you remember, 2018 was two years prior to something called COVID-19, <laughs> or a year prior, rather, uh, two years prior to COVID-19 pandemic, where we all were isolated for a period of time. In 2020, NPR published a study that was done, an exhaustive study. They found 61% of Americans reported feeling lonely. Now, please hear this. There's no condemnation if you feel lonely. There have been, a, there have been seasons of my life I had been there where I used to be very lonely. You know that in 2015, BYU did a study. They actually found that loneliness is worse for your physical health than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It's two times worse than obesity. For your physical health. 
Not even looking at mental health and emotional health and spiritual health, but just your physical health. So it's important that we have enough people around us, the right relationships, who can encourage us and support us. And please, again, you've come at a great time to Catalyst because next Sunday we start our community groups where you can find those relationships. You can be in those relationships for somebody else. You know, I was reminded of the, of the detrimental impact that, that, that being by ourselves can have. I was at the, the gym the other day. I was having leg day, and I was on this hack squat machine that has these like, uh, it's like a squat machine, but you have these levers uh, when you're done to kind of lock you in place. Well, there was a guy who was, who was on a squat rack, and he was on a front squat. So he had like the barbell, about a couple hundred pounds. So I, I wasn't really paying attention. I was in my zone, had my headphones on, listened to my Andy Minio. Did you know about Andy Minio? If you don't know who Andy Minio is, we were playing him early in the lobby. Uh, he's a Christian rapper. Uh, and uh, I was working out, and all of a sudden, I see this man out of the corner of my eye fall forward, clang, like this banging of weights. The barbell falls off of him, and his phone goes flying. And he gets up kind of staggered, like, because he just fell. And I thought to myself, like, I almost wanted to go over to him and say, hey, bro, like, you need a spotter. Like, you can't be doing this. And, and, and he was, you know, around my age, so I feel like I can say this. I'm going to be like, bro, you too old for this, my man, right? Like, there's just some days your body's going to be like, nah, <laughs> you know? You need somebody when that moment happens. And your body says, no player, you're too old for this. <laughs> you should have done this 20 years ago. But can I tell you, there are times in life where the weight that you will carry will be too much for you. It can be a diagnosis from the doctor. It can be an academic issue your child has at school. It can be a loved one who's in the hospital who's sick. It can be stress from a work project. And sometimes life can just be too much. And you need somebody else who can pray for you, who can support you, who can lift the weight off of you. Come on, sometimes, who will do the ministry of an Uber Eats card? Come on, somebody. Anybody ever been ministered by an Uber Eats card? You're just too tired to do dinner. If someone's like, God bless you, you're like, thank you, Lord. And, and you need somebody who just, you know, are thinking about you, caring for you, praying for you, supporting you. You need that. But then the one thing that couldn't be just as detrimental, if not worse, than no battle buddies is having the wrong battle buddies. Like, they're fighting the wrong battles. You're like, bro, why are you over there? Like, what? I'm going this direction. Why are you fighting that battle? And, and I could go deeper into that because sometimes even there are some followers of Jesus fighting the wrong battles, but I won't go there today. But... Yeah, I got to have the right ones. Here's what Paul said. Bad company, Paul says, ruins good morals. You ever seen that? Have you ever made a bad decision because of the people you're around? You're like, I'm not going to have dessert tonight. And then your friend's like, I'm ordering dessert. You're like, okay. I'm trying to be a good friend. I'm trying to be a good friend. An hour later, you're like, I shouldn't have had cheesecake. I shouldn't have had cheesecake. You know, it's interesting, the Journal of Health Communication 2017, they did a meta-analysis of 28 studies, including 139,000 people, and they were looking at how do our friendships influence our habits that affect our physical health. 
And here's what they found. They found a correlation between your friends and how much veg- whether or not your friends eat vegetables and how much correlates with actually how many vegetables you eat. And also your friends' uh, smoking habits or lack thereof influence your smoking habits or lack thereof. And they found in college students that their, uh, whether or not they, would, they were drinking too much alcohol was correlated if their friends drink too much alcohol. That, that our friends actually influence our habits. Our friends actually shape our future. So listen, for some of you, you might be thinking to yourself, even some people, there are some people in your life that you need to redefine the relationship in 2022. Because you're trying to pursue after God, pursue the purposes of God, and there are some people, I'm not saying cut them out and be mean to them, I'm just saying redefine how much you allow them to speak into your life. You want people who are going after God, who can encourage you in the purposes of God, so that you can be fulfill all that God has for you to fulfill. And then you have to commit. Joshua was committed. In Joshua 7, he was like, ah, two or 3,000. Not that big of a deal. The, the, Joshua 8, he's like, 30,000 of my best men, we're going to ambush them at night. That's commitment, right? He wasn't playing around anymore. Like, this is what we're going to do. I need, I need 30,000 of my best men, and we're going to do this at night. And let me, just, let me just give some encouragement out of Acts 2. Many of you know this, verse 42. It says this, they, referring to the early church, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word continually devoting literally means in the Greek to, 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 to commit, to persevere, it means that they, they stayed connected to each other even when it was hard. They stayed connected to each other even when they didn't feel like it. They persevered through it. They were devoted to each other. And can I tell you, listen, I was even thinking about our commitment spiritually. The other day I was at the gym and I thought to myself, you know, this time of year, um, the people who are fired up to work out at the beginning of January, they're starting to fall off. Have you noticed that? If you go to the gym, you're like, thank God, uh, I can use the bench again, not wait for it. Uh, but people start to kind of fall off, right? They get with good intentions. If you casually were committed to the gym, casually committed to working out, you work out at home, casually committed to your physical health, how many of you know you wouldn't expect significant results at the end of the year? Can I tell you the same applies to your life spiritually? If, if, and here's what casual looks like. Let me get real practical. It means you don't have a plan and that it's not in your plan. To have, be casual about your spirituality means, do you, have you planned out how you're going to spend time with God? Have you planned out, man, here's the Bible reading plan that I'm going to do. Let me take it a step further with relationships. Have you planned out, man, I'm going to be next week when the group signups launch, I'm going to join this group. I'm going to mark in my calendars every Tuesday night from 7.30 to 9. I'm going to be a part of this group. Because I've talked to many people who I'm like, hey, have you joined a group? They've been a part of the church. Like, oh, yeah, I joined a group, but I never went. (laughs) And even sometimes when it's online, it's like, you just had to turn on your phone. (laughs) Please, I'm not making light. But I'm saying this, don't expect significant result with a casual commitment. Like, don't expect, man, I'm going to grow spiritually, I'm going to thrive in God's purposes. And the group you joined, you never attend. Like, I'm saying this out of love, like, commit to a group and get involved. 
Listen, commit wholeheartedly. Make 2022 the year you are most committed to God. And just so you know, to be clear scripturally, I'm speaking New Testament scripture. To be committed to God also means you're committed to the local church. So get fully invested this year. Man, commit yourself. Here at Catalyst, join a group. Go through next steps. Get a part of a team. I know this. Your life will be better for it. And then catch this. Because you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just about you. In fact, our king, King Jesus, says, deny yourself and follow me. That others will be blessed because of it. You know the word for fellowship in scripture is the word koinonia. Koinonia does not mean a loose association. Koinonia means mutual contribution. And so often, we're, we can be unfulfilled in relationships because we're only looking for what we can get out of it, not what we can give to it. And the way that God's designed you is you are more fulfilled when you look for how can I give, not just receive? How can I serve, not just be served? I'm not saying you shouldn't look to have certain needs met in a community setting. I'm just saying don't just look for that because what you'll find is you'll find yourself unfulfilled. So what would it look like for you this year in community to be more, more focused on contributing to others? You can actually play that out as well into your work life, into other relationships. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book. He's a theologian and phenomenal life. He wrote a book called Life Together. He had a profound statement I want to read. It's a little lengthy, but, but I want you just to take this in. He says, those who love the dream of a Christian community... More than they love the Christian community itself, become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may ever be so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter a community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another in God accordingly. Don't get mad. I didn't say it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer did, okay? Take it up with him. He's dead now, so. But are you catching the heart? Here's my lovingly pastoral encouragement this year. And listen, if, if, if you're just visiting town or if you're looking for a church, we'd love for it to be Catalyst. But man, go all in, like into a, a local church community. I know that your life and others' life will be better because of it. Here's the last and final point. And that's this, is that our spiritual obedience, the last lesson, is more important than our natural competence. Joshua was a very competent leader. He, he, he sat under Moses, which would be like sitting under a prolific professor in your graduate program. It'd be like sitting under a very recognized leader in your workplace. Moses was beloved. Moses clearly made a significant impact. And then, again, his first two expeditions as a leader were pretty successful. And you would say he was very accomplished, uh, intelligent, uh, an exceptional leader. But in Joshua 7, he relied upon his gifts, not God. Because he made a decision without inquiring of God. And can I tell you a danger for all of us in this room? Because you're very gifted and you are very talented. I don't say that lightly. I know many of you in this room personally. You are very intelligent, very gifted, very accomplished. But here is a temptation all of us face. Because your gifts will take you so far. Is that you live your life more reliant upon your gifts than God. And your gifts will lead to progress, but only God can prosper you. 
So we live our life thinking, man, I'm good. Yeah, you're gifted. But when we're relying upon God, we prosper. See, Joshua, in chapter 8, the first thing he did was seek God. Let me say this as well. Joshua was a military leader. He wasn't a pastor seeking God for vision for his church. He was seeking God on how to lead in the government. Are you following me, church? Because you may be thinking, well, I work in medicine. What does God care about that? God cares a lot about that, actually. And can I just say this? If, if you feel called to medicine, God's called you to medicine. And it's just as holy as a calling to anything else. If he's called you to education or business or to be an at-home parent, whatever it is he's called you to, that's from God. He's called you for that. Here's my question to reflect upon. Are you more likely to ask God to bless your plans or ask God for the plan? When's the last time you said, God, can you speak to me about what you see for these children I parent? God, can you tell me what your vision is for my life and this career? Can I be honest with you? So many times I'm not careful, I can fall into the former or the latter. Because listen, it's not bad to have a plan. It's just not wise to leave God out of it and to ask him to add the icing on the top instead of be the main course. He wants to be the main course of your life. Maybe for you, spend some time this week and just seek God and say, God, am I, am, I, am, I, am I doing what you're asking me to do? Now listen, don't be you know, scared like he's going to say, you've actually never should have been there for the past 30 years. <laughs> God can redeem anything. Um, but, but, but seek God like, like, like he did. And here's what the Lord told him, do not be afraid or discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered you into the hands of the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So God gives him direction. You know, it reminded me of Psalm 4610 where the psalmist writes, be still, the Lord speaks to the psalmist, and know that I am God. That word still literally means to slow yourself down. And as I was reading the scripture, I thought to myself, um, when I talk on the phone, anybody else here with me, just have kind of an open confession moment. When you talk on the phone to somebody else, you love to be multitasking while you're talking on the phone. So you're getting two things done at the same time. Anybody else here with me? Come on. I'm a D on the disc. I'm an achiever on the strengths finder. Come on. I have a task list for my task list. Come on, somebody. Um, this is how messed up I am. When I do something, if it's not on my task list, but I did it, I'll put it on my task list just to cross it off. Come on. Anybody else with me? Come on. Nothing's wrong with us. Nothing's wrong with us. We're normal. <laughs> so I love to do something while I'm on the phone. Like, especially with, like, earbuds now, you know? It's great. I'm hands-free. This is the Lord's will. I'm not supposed to sit quietly and listen to you. I'm supposed to clean the dishes while I do it. But have you had this moment happen to you while you're listening to them on the phone, and they ask you a question, and you totally didn't hear what they said? And you're like swimming up, you're, trying to, you're like treading water. You're like, well, what had happened was. And when I thought about that, I'll be honest with you for a moment. The Lord reminded me that sometime I'm that way with him. That I have the scripture open. That I'm postured in prayer. But my mind is in my meeting at 2 p.m. My mind is running through my task list of what I have to do for that day. And the Lord reminded me, Jeremy, sometimes you are still externally, but you are busy internally. 
And perhaps for some of you, you would say, me too. And maybe this week, the very thing you need to do, this is all you need to do this week right now, you need to have a moment. Here's what I did the other morning. I, my, my, my morning time, I literally threw my phone across the room because sometimes I just got to be extreme. <laughs> like, like, I need this thing away from me. I'm going to be tempted to look at this thing. And uh, I closed my eyes. And I just said, Lord, speak. I'm here. And God spoke to me clearly. He probably has been speaking to me, but I've been busy internally. I love John Ortberg uh, said this, that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I think that's not just, again, physical activity. I think that's more even so mental activity. So then my final scripture, John, Joshua 8 and verse 18. Um, the Lord then speaks to Joshua. And he says, I want you to hold out toward Ai the javelin in your hand. For into your hand I will deliver the city. You know, I thought this when I, when I read that passage. He says, hold the javelin in your hand. And I thought to myself, perhaps Joshua in that moment, if he personally thought to himself or maybe even others around them thought to themselves, that they, would, they, were, they, they brought to mind, that he, would, he, he was thinking about the fact that last time I came upon this city, we were brutally defeated and I lost 36 men. And that God was asking him once again to trust him. And that perhaps, I wonder if perhaps some of you are here today, that maybe you are hesitant. Maybe God has spoken to you about something to do. Maybe it's to leave the job you're in or to stay in the job you're in. Maybe it's to get married to her or to break off the engagement, to launch the business or close the business. And sometimes we can be hesitant. Can I be honest? Sometimes the reason we can be hesitant to walk according to the will of God is because deep down in our heart, we actually fear man. We fear, what are other people going to think of me if I do this? They're going to think I'm crazy. What are they going to think? Everyone's telling me to leave this job, but I feel like God's saying stay. Everyone's saying that this person's perfect for me, but I feel like I'm supposed to break off the engagement. Can I encourage you? I'm going to pray for courage at the end to trust God once again. And then he holds out his javelin. See, sometimes if we're not careful what God calls us to, and let me just say this, if what God is calling you to do, you feel unqualified for, that's probably a good sign it's him and not you. Because we like to do things that we're confident in, don't we? Like, we like to take the step that I feel comfortable with. Okay, I, I know if I do it this way, I can win. If I do it this way, I'll be successful. But when you feel like God's calling you to do something that you feel completely unqualified for, that's good news. It probably is God. And let me share some encouragement with you. I know it's a cliche statement, but it's true. God does not, does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And what does he tell to Joshua? He says, what's in your hand? It reminds me of what he said to Moses when he parted the Red Sea. Moses, what is in your hand? Can I encourage someone today? God's called you to do something that you feel very insecure about. And I feel, as I read this scripture, the Spirit of God is just saying this. What did I place in your hand? 
And can I tell you, I want you to live a life, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I want you to live a life that the blessing of God is so apparent upon your life, it does not make sense to the natural mind. And when you can say, God, I trust you, and I'm going to obey you and follow you. And I believe when you do so, God will move mightily on your behalf. Like he did with Joshua, like he did here on the Israelites, like he did with his predecessor, Moses. The words of Jesus say this, says, he says this. As I read this, the worship team can come forward. He says, now that you know these things, Jesus says to his disciples, meaning you know these teachings that I've taught you, my word. He says, you will be blessed if you do them. There's a blessing tied to obeying the word of God. So I want to encourage you, church, as we see from their, their story of battle testing, of how they failed forward this week. What is God asking you to do? What step of courage is he asking you to take? Maybe for some of you in the room, it's recognizing. Maybe there have been some indiscretions. Maybe there have been some ethical lines crossed. Maybe there's been sin in your life. And you need to take some time this week and ask God, is there a lie that I'm believing? Ask God to replace it with the truth and throw off whatever is hindering you. Maybe for others of you, your next step is you need to get some battle buddies in your corner. And let me say this, maybe you're here and you already have those people in your corner. Can I give you an application? Be that person for somebody else. We're not just called to receive, we're called to also do it for other people. But get some people in your corner, the right people. Join a group next weekend. And then lastly, for some of you, you need to, you need to slow down. Still yourself internally and hear the voice of God and then courageously do what he's asking you to do.